In the rugged and remote Taranaki region of New Zealand runs a Waimeti stream and the isolated Manuka forests, home to the bees that produce some of the most natural, pure Manuka honey in the world. Manuka honey is a great daily immune booster, digestive remedy and an anti-inflammatory. It's also a great alternative to sugar and a powerful ingredient for longevity. Waimeti honey is a high quality New Zealand Manuka honey now available in Australia at Woolworths right around the country. And even better, every time you buy Waimeti honey, 10% of your purchase goes towards the regeneration of hive numbers to increase the world bee population. More honey, more healing, and more health for humanity. Waimeti honey, find it now in Woolworths stores right around Australia. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Damien Christoph and Dr. Brett Hill. Hey, Brett. Hey, Damo. What are you working on at the moment, mate? Well, I'm working on a few things, Damo. I'm writing a book, but what I've just finished working on is my Art of Natural Running e-course, ah. and I'm really excited about it. So, you know, I've been going around Australia doing this uh, this live course where I was teaching people how to run naturally, and uh, and what I realized was that I couldn't get around to everybody uh, and that it was hard to get around to everybody all around Australia and even outside of Australia, people who wanted to learn about how to run naturally and how to run it more easily, how to make it more fun and how to get less injuries. And so I decided to put it all together into e-course, which is about five and a half hours worth of video content. Oh, far out. That's unbelievable. Where do people find it? So they can find it at theartofnaturalrunning.com and they'll be able to hear not just from me, but from experts like Danny Dreyer from Chi Running. We've got Kim Morrison. We've got Kelly Starrett from Mobility Ward. And we've even got a guy called The Barefoot Podiatrist, who's my favorite. Good bloke. Okay. So theartofnaturalrunning.com. Hi, this is Damien Christoph. And this is Brett Hill. Hi, mate. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, thank you. Um, equally as excited as you are about this interview. And um, it's a goodie. It is a goodie, and it's such a big topic at the moment. You know, everyone's talking about keto in the last 12, 24 months. It seems like everyone's been talking about it. A lot of people have been giving it a go. This is a great interview. The thing I like about this interview is we've got uh, Dominic Diagostino come on board, and he's at the absolute cutting edge of the research around keto. And so the thing I like about Dominic is he's not a, you know, he's not a keto evangelist. He's a keto researcher, and he's really willing to ask the questions and talk about about where it's good, where it might not be so good, you know, what are the facts as opposed to the hype around the keto diet, which I think is great. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, one of the great things was is that he uses science to ask more questions, uh, which which I loved. And, uh, and he was, you know, quite open about the fact that um, whilst keto um, has its strengths, there are drawbacks and you need to be mindful of it. Uh, but he was also really... Um, you know, kind of humble about the work that he's done. He's probably the yeah. world's leading researcher in this sort of field and uh, and he's got so much great content to share with us. Um, but I think I suppose as a practitioner myself um, and I've used ketogenic eating programs and diets for 20 years now with, uh, with my patients in trying to lose weight and manage um, cholesterol issues, heart disease, diabetes, uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Keto has been really good for those people. Um, I'm still cautious to give it to everybody, but you know what Dom talks about here kind of has you thinking. Oh, maybe there's some relevance uh, for some degree of ketogenic lifestyle for everybody. Mm. 
Yeah, I, absolutely, Damon. And I think, you know, what seems to be coming out a little bit at the moment seems to be some of this discussion around perhaps some metabolic flexibility that maybe we weren't keto all year round, but maybe at certain times of year. You know, Cindy Amir has spoken about that. I think it's fascinating. So, um, you know, I think these sort of, you know, as we learn more about these different approaches, we're starting to get a bit of a broader picture of how they fit into the bigger picture as opposed to just using them in isolation as well, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, me too, me too. Well, let's get into this interview, Bretto, and uh, and see uh, what we can all learn. Hi, this is David Christo. And this is Brett Hill. And uh, we're joined today by Dr. Dom D'Agostino, and uh, we're going to be talking all things keto. And, uh, and seriously, like if there's anyone in the world that you'd want to speak to about keto, it's Dom. Because Dom is at the uh, the coalface. He's, he's doing all of the, the groundwork, all of the serious research into ketosis and how it actually works and what it's good for and what's going on. And Dom's not running on a lot of sleep at the moment, so <laughs> but he's doing well. Dom, welcome to Australia. Great to be here. Thank it's you. really great to have you here. And we're at the Bioceuticals, uh, the sixth Research Symposium. Research Symposium. <laughs> the sixth research symposium. Oh, that's sixth research symposium. I'm a bit confused here. But uh, uh, Dom, your your research is profound. You, you're doing a lot in the world of keto and you're kind of shaping the healthy version of keto. So why don't we hear a bit from you about, you know, what's all this about and, and why is it so good for us, keto? And is it really good for us? Uh, that is, you have to determine that, you know, it's not, it's a tool in the toolbox. That's what I tell people. And for me, I approached it from the angle of seizures. So in the United States and I think abroad, uh, the ketogenic diet is a standard of care for drug resistant epilepsy. And my focus 12 years ago was CNS oxygen toxicity seizures. That is a limitation for Navy SEAL diving and also sets the limitation for things like hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Our upper limits are determined by oxygen toxicity seizures. So uh, we don't know what uh, causes them and we don't know how to predict or prevent them. And my early research was on mechanistically finding out uh, how the brain functions under high levels of pressure and oxygen and developing a mitigation strategy to enhance and preserve brain energy metabolism in the face of that oxidative stress, which could be you know, a Navy SEAL dive under high oxygen pressure. Wow. So I guess there's a lot of people doing keto now, like all around the world. It's a huge thing. And lots of people are doing it for lots of different reasons. So it seems some people are doing it because they do have some sort of neurological issues or neurodegenerative disorders. Other people are doing it because they want to lose weight. Um, other people are doing it because they just think it's a good idea to do anyway, uh, to be on this keto diet. So what's your take on it? Like where and when do you think keto is good to be used? Yeah. So when I got into this field uh, 10, 12 years ago, the only application for the ketogenic diet, like legit application was pediatric epilepsy. And over the years, it's been amazing to see the amount of research on the emerging applications and now proven applications of the ketogenic diet. So uh, the low hanging fruit, I think, uh, when it comes to an application of the ketogenic diet is type 2 diabetes, weight loss, obesity. And it does it for a number of factors. When you go on a ketogenic diet, you tend to inadvertently restrict calories to the point where it helps people 
maintain a energy deficit that allows them to get their weight down and not only, you know, lose weight, every, everybody can lose weight, but keeping weight off is the hard thing, mm -hmm. right? Uh, the ketogenic diet tends to outperform other diets because it uh, reduces your appetite, attenuates your cravings, and it hormonally changes you. For for example, it reduces the hormone ghrelin, and you know ghrelin's a hunger hormone, so we know this. Uh, it it changes your kind of relationship with food in a way because you don't have cravings, mostly because the blood sugar spikes are largely abolished if not significantly attenuated when you're in a state of ketosis and if your blood glucose does drop down and that stimulates uh, cravings hunger and your ketones are elevated you are mostly asymptomatic you know for hypoglycemia and it's those dips in glucose that really fire up our our hunger and if our ketones are elevated it keeps our brain happy it keeps the fuel flow to our brain you know going and uh, and I think you know from a practical standpoint that's why I use the diet because I can go I was right before coming down I was 36 hours fasted because I was doing a lot of traveling and I, I wasn't hungry and prior to being fat adapted and keto adapted I would have probably felt on my face, you know, because uh, you just don't have that mental resilience. Um, so that's one of the practical benefits for people who are very busy, that you could sustain your cognitive function and even performance uh, in the face of limited food availability. And that's why organizations like, you know, the military is interested in it. And uh, a lot of executives, you know, in the United States, they work a lot. So if they could do one or two meals a day instead of four or five meals a day, it's very practical for them. So it seems like there's a lot of different types of keto diets. Like a lot of people have different ideas around what a keto diet is. And it seems like some people are doing high protein, some people are doing high fat. You know, obviously the low carb aspect of it seems to be the common theme. Yeah. Um, and also, I guess some people are, are trying to do a keto diet and maybe not doing it as successfully. You know, there seems to be some danger in people doing high fat and high sugar at the same time. Yeah. Um, so can you talk about those different aspects and, and what, how you define a keto diet? Yeah, well, it's not my definition. The definition of a ketogenic diet is a diet that elevates your blood ketones. You know, uh, ketones in the range of over 0.5 millimolar. And if you're not measuring ketones, if you're you're not in a state of ketosis and you're not following a ketogenic diet, if your ketones are not elevated. Uh, there's a lot of misconceptions out there. A Labeling a low-carbohydrate, high-protein diet ketogenic and that could be ketogenic in the context of maybe intermittent fasting or if you're calorie restricted to the point where, you know, you could be in a state of ketosis. Um, but it's really important to define a ketogenic diet. The history of the ketogenic diet is really fascinating. And it's, uh, it evolved out of the 1920s as a, as a diet to manage epilepsy, right? And the diet was like 90% fat. But now, and that diet still exists for pediatric epilepsy, but the... The modified ketogenic diet is much more liberal in protein, where it's about 20 to even 30% protein with the balance being fat with a minimal amount of carbohydrates, at most 10% carbohydrates from fibrous vegetables. Is so, it still as effective? Uh, it is for adult populations. So there's a way to sort of construct, uh, you can do a modified ketogenic diet and have a proportion of the fats, ketogenic fats, like medium chain triglycerides or coconut oil. Mm -hmm. And these fats, instead of being packaged into chylomicrons and then going the normal, you know, fatty acid uh, 
triglyceride absorption, they are transported via the hepatic portal vein right to the liver, and they accelerate fat oxidation in the liver where you're making ketones mm -hmm. production. So the ketones spill into your bloodstream, and the ketones really are part of the magic of the ketogenic diet because they have, not only are they alternative energy sources for your brain, but they have important signaling properties like reducing inflammation and uh, activating key pathways that promote uh, health and even longevity. Dom, there's some really great points that you're raising there and I, and I love it. And it, I think it's important to understand and remember that the body makes ketones. So I get worried when people don't necessarily adjust their diet, but then take supplemental ketones. So their insulin levels are relatively elevated because they're still having too many carbohydrates. And then they take supplemental ketones. I, I perceive that there's going to be a problem with that. I don't know if that's going to be really good for them. Can you foresee anything that might not be good with that or is that okay to do? That's a really interesting point. That's, that's a lot of what we do is study that, right? Uh, through the Office of Navy Research, they wanted a countermeasure against oxygen toxicity seizures. And my original sort of idea for a countermeasure was a ketogenic diet, although there was a lot of pushback mm -hmm. about putting a warfighter on a high-fat, low-carb diet, you know, that it would be unhealthy, atherogenic, that it would decrease performance, all those things. So they kind of wanted, yeah, yeah. Well, this is like, pre before the work of uh, Jeff Volek and Stephen Finney became popular um, and it's still a, a point of controversy but um, they more or less wanted a ketogenic diet in a pill or a way that you can do it fast we know the ketogenic diet will get you into ketosis in 48 to 72 hours in strong ketosis whereas a ketone supplement could do it in 15 minutes to 30 minutes like starvation level ketosis but that's that's ketones not That's ketosis. I could, yep. So we know that uh, when you take exogenous ketones, a number of things happen uh, that mimic some aspects of the metabolic physiology of being in fasting ketosis and ketogenic diet ketosis. So we could start with blood ketones are elevated. Mm -hmm. You could measure someone's blood and their ketones would look like they fasted for seven to 10 days after a half hour with a large enough dose. Wow. They could be at five millimolar with a ketone ester. Uh, interestingly, and we're still studying this, blood glucose levels drop. And it drops for reasons we don't know. It drops, I originally thought it could be you know, releasing a little bit of insulin and that insulin would facilitate glucose disposal. But it looks to be that it's more uh, reducing hepatic glucose output. Mm -hmm. So hepatic gluconeogenesis is thought to go down. Uh, so the overall metabolic profile is with ketones going up and glucose going down. Mm -hmm. uh, and we know they are the two drivers of brain energy metabolism. And then if we get ketones up and glucose down, we know that has an anti-convulsant effect. We know that it has, to some extent, an anti-cancer effect. Mm -hmm. uh, and from my perspective, uh, well, the important perspective I was studying is that it profoundly stops oxygen toxicity seizures. Mm -hmm. So uh, not all ketogenic supplements do that. It was a ketone ester that gave a one-to-one -one ratio of beta-hydroxybutyrate and acetoacetate. Mm -hmm. So from my perspective, though, uh, the healthiest 
way to achieve ketosis, sustain ketosis, and use that as a lifestyle is not to use a ketone supplement, but to use a carbohydrate-restricted, modified form of the ketogenic diet, and probably not all the time. I use it all the time. Mm -hmm. I study ketosis. You know, I'm testing different supplements. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's part of what I do. Mm -hmm. So don't don't tell people to do what I do. You know, I do what I do because... This is what I do. You're a researcher. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And so you mentioned fasted ketosis there, and that'd be a really good thing to talk about because obviously some people are trying to get into this uh, ketosis, ketotic state uh, by changing their diet, and other people are trying to do it by fasting and intermittent fasting and that sort of stuff. And I guess a bit like Damien, like one of the concerns I've got around that is if if people aren't eating a good diet, you know, if, if they're not eating a nutrient-rich diet, and then they're intermittently fasting, you know, I worry about the the long-term effects on them of doing that. So what do you recommend to people in terms of how much they can manage their ketosis via diet, how much they can do it via fasting, and and how to do that well? Yeah, I think it's good to get your general nutrient status. So if you can afford it and you have the means to do it, get uh, a micronutrient kind of profile to see where you're at, to see where your magnesium is at, see where your your B vitamins are, things like that. Uh, So I would kind of recommend doing that. and not, not, you don't have to necessarily do one approach or the other. So when I started intermittent fasting, it was once or twice a week. And you can get benefits from just doing it once or twice a week. I used to do it on days I was very busy. I would wake up and have to be at work you know, early in the morning on certain days. And there would be the days I would intermittent fast. But I think you can combine, you could do ketogenic intermittent fasting, meaning that you could intermittent fast for a period of time and then eat a nutrient-dense ketogenic macronutrient ratio meals in that window of eating, whether it be four, six, or eight hours, and still maintain your state of ketosis if that's what you want to do. If you're using it for type 2 diabetes or to to metabolically manage some kind of disorder. Uh, But you don't, I don't feel you have to do nutritional ketosis to even get the the full benefits of the ketogenic diet. I feel that you could probably do it for a week or two every month and get a lot of benefits or maybe, you know, a couple days a week, however it fits your lifestyle. One thing is for certain though, if you'll see pretty robust changes in metabolic markers like hemoglobin H1C, uh, C-reactive protein, uh, your insulin levels will be lower on the days that you do that. And I think uh, you'll get a lot of metabolic benefits. But it's like anything. If you do it all the time, your body likes relative changes. Mm-hmm. So if you do the ketogenic diet and then switch to another diet, those, cha- those relative changes are putting a stress on your body that may produce metabolic adaptations that make us more metabolically flexible and uh, capable of transitioning from one eating pattern to another. So it really depends on the person. A lot of people doing the ketogenic diet are people that probably don't have to do the ketogenic they're already athletes they're already in good shape you know i think the people who can benefit most from a nutritional ketosis regimen are people with type 2 diabetes are people that are obese or overweight that can't seem to manage their eating behavior in a way that produces a sustainable uh dietary energy restriction to meet their their goals because people i see people can lose weight but they just can't keep it off and i i really think the and that's really probably the biggest thing maybe you guys come across right is that uh at least in the united states you know a lot of people are overweight and they just cannot uh adopt an eating strategy that consistently keeps their weight weight down they're on a yo-yo pattern and uh 
the nutritional ketosis or even low carb is a way to manage that. Yeah. yeah. And the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more benefits you derive from it too. So a lot of people, if they find it very challenging the first week or two, they just kind of have to ride it out. And the metabolic adaptations and even your relationship with food changes over time where you just don't crave sweet things anymore. Wouldn't that be great for some people? It would be really good. I'm thinking there are, I was actually, we had lunch with an integrative GP, one of our great friends, Pam Dagley, and she um, was saying that she has had some type 2 diabetic patients doing um, ketosis, but their insulin levels have gone higher and their blood sugar levels have gone higher as well. So she was concerned that maybe uh, through the process of glyco, sorry, gluconeogenesis, mm-hmm. that there'd be conversion of amino acids into glucose. Is that a problem that you see often or what could be the potential mechanism? Why would they go in that direction? Yeah, so I would have to see, are they measuring ketones? Are their ketones legitimately elevated? Are they eating a high-protein diet that's not ketogenic so these are some of the things are they are they adjusting their calories so i could eat a very strict ketogenic diet but if i'm getting surplus amount of calories Mm -hmm. uh and um I'm above a eucaloric level, mm-hmm. uh, not only will my insulin go up, my triglycerides will go up, my glucose will go up, all these things go up. Correct. So this is something that you see tinkering with diet. Their calorie restriction is a very powerful thing. And sometimes when you're on a ketogenic diet, you may not know it, but you're calorie restricting. And also, if you're on a ketogenic diet, you have to understand that the uh, energy density of your meals are much, much higher. So if you use the same size plates and you have, you're eating ketogenic (laughs) and you could sit down too in front of the TV with a a bag of cashew nuts and really do some damage, right? As far as calorie consumption. So I think people need to, uh, instead of grabbing the bag of nuts, they need to put and allocate a certain amount in a bowl and put the bag back in. I mean, these are like Like simple things that are, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think that's a really important, you know, concept that people really need, they do need to count calories and they need to count macros. And people think if they do the ketogenic diet, this is a great diet because I don't have to count calories. I don't, mm. but you do, you mm. do have to count calories. I'm devo. I do. I can't have the whole bag of cashews. Yeah. <laughs> I'm devastated. All right. So, uh, one of the things people talk about when they go onto a keto diet is keto flu. And you kind of hinted at yeah. that a second ago when you said people struggle sometimes when they, when they transition. So, it's, what is keto flu? What causes yeah. keto flu? And, and how do people get through it? Yeah, that's uh, in some people it's a mystery, but I, I really think there's it's multifactorial. I think the first thing that's happening is that you're forcing your body to transition from a glucose carbohydrate based metabolism to a fatty acid and ketone metabolism. Your brain specifically is adapting to being fueled off ketones uh, through a, through limited glucose availability. And uh, that's not a, that's not a, that creates a level of dysphoria for, for most people, right? And, uh, and also if your glucose goes down, it's also causing changes in your immune system because your immune cells use, use glucose for fuel. A lot of physiological changes are happening in your body. Uh, that can cause you to feel uh, lethargic, fatigued, and uh, and also, so when you go on a ketogenic diet, you suppress the hormone insulin, so you tend to dump a lot of water and also sodium, and your blood volume goes down, and your hypo that hypovolemia creates 
low blood pressure, you might have orthostatic hypotension in the beginning. So you really got to bring in extra fluids and even salts mm-hmm. during the first week to two or three weeks. Uh, and not, that all kind of... sodium chloride, right? We're talking potassium salts as well. Yeah, yeah. Like a good Himalayan sea salt. I mean, salt your food, lots of vegetables, salty vegetables, lots of fat. And you kind of want to make sure you're not calorie restricted as much in the beginning. Maybe if you're on a severe weight loss diet, you might want to calorie restrict. But uh, I think it's important to kind of fill that gap, right? So your brain becomes glucose, you know, uh, goes through glucose withdrawal. Mm -hmm. And if you're using things like MCTs or maybe even that's when a ketone supplement can help out Mm -hmm. and you elevate ketones because it takes a while to enzymatically be able to ramp up ketone production in your liver. And you're also forcing your body to utilize ketones as a fuel. So you need to upregulate the transporters like the monocarboxylic acid transporters, the MCT transporters. And also the tissues may not be using ketones effectively as fuel. So you have a number of ketolytic enzymes. And over time, we know at least in rodent models that in two or three weeks, you could upregulate that protein by 50%. So there's, uh, there's an adaptive, there's something that happens acutely. Uh, physiological changes that and metabolic changes that you can see acutely, but over time, you're literally activating many of the genes involved in not only ketogenesis, but also the transport and utilization of those ketones in tissues. And that's a, a time-dependent process. That's why when you do it, you know, the more you do it, the easier it gets, and there's a learning curve, the learning the diet, and the more benefits you derive from it. And it, it's not something that happens in a week. This is happening at a very minimum of six weeks to even get back to baseline to where you're feeling you know normal again um this is a really great conversation and i just can't stop thinking about kids with epilepsy mm-hmm. you know we're seeing children at a very young age being diagnosed with epilepsy um at what point I, I, obviously in america you said that um you're using a dietary approach using ketosis with kids who are non-responsive to pharmacological interventions um, to help manage their epilepsy. Over here, it's drugs, 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 drugs. There's no discussion at all in Australia about epileptic children using ketosis. It's only found on the internet. We don't, our dietitians over here are scared of it. The doctors don't recommend it. The pediatricians don't know anything about it. And so it's not actually happening. There's going to be people listening to this um, that have children who suffer with epilepsy how do we get children into ketosis and measure it and at what age can we start to do that do you know you know i would direct them to the resource of charlie foundation okay. it's the united states but they're also pushing a global agenda mm-hmm. now and i think there's about 200 uh sponsored charlie foundation clinics and also matthew's friends is in the uk and they have a number of clinics across there. Uh, for children, it's especially important because many of the anti-epileptic drugs can cause developmental delays, and some of them are not reversible. Yeah, uh, so, concerns me a lot. Yeah, yeah. it's a grossly underutilized uh, approach, and the ketogenic diet seems to work so well across different seizure types, independent of the etiology. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, you could have epilepsy because you could have temporal lobe epilepsy or or absence epilepsy, or glucose transporter deficiency, Angelman syndrome, you know, there's all these different types of epilepsies that universally the ketogenic diet works really good for Dravé, for Lennox-Gastaut, like uh, all these different epilepsies, the ketogenic diet works great 
when drugs fail, and they only use it when drugs fail. But I really think for the pediatric population, because parents have control over their children's diet and they could easily manipulate this, it's a little bit harder actually to manipulate in like a teenager or even an adult. But for kids, it's, we know it's easy to implement. We know it works really well. And I believe it should be a frontline approach for parents who understand uh, the potential side effects. They should know the potential side effects of anti epileptic drugs yeah. uh, but it, it's really an education thing so if we go through our education system and I do teach you know at a medical college and nutrition is not really part of it I think I could ask the question to all the medical doctors and even the kids like what is the cornerstone for our for health and wellness and prevention of disease and I think universally they would have to agree it's nutrition mm-hmm. you know exercise is a component but the thing, the one thing that we have control over that matters more than anything else on our general health and management of disease is nutrition. And uh, we're not, we just don't have the education in place. And, and then there's clinical nutrition. That should be part of the educational program too, at the very least clinical nutrition. And, and it's not. And I did my undergrad in nutrition uh, thinking I would go into medical school. I actually... Uh, had to double major in biology because the, the nutrition just was not, it was a good program, but it was just not, didn't get the recognition that it deserved. And, the, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, jobs, you know, in that. So, no, uh, no, I went in the, the 90s was a decade of the brain. So I chose to do my PhD in neuroscience and physiology, but it was really exciting for me to come full circle and to go back to my roots, nutrition, which I think uh, has greater potential to benefit more people than the other stuff I was studying, the some of the pharmacological agents. Mm-hmm. Now, when we talk about the keto diet, I find a lot of people have trouble imagining it like you know we can talk about percentages and we say you know 80% fat or 70% fat or whatever percentage we're talking about and they have a lot of trouble imagining what that looks like on a plate and I think a lot of the time people don't realize how much perhaps carbohydrate is in the food they're eating and they might think that they're doing a keto diet as you said they're not measuring their ketones but they don't realize how far they are actually from being there as well so perhaps can you describe for us like what a day looks like for you in terms of like breakfast lunch tea do you snack in between you know that sort of stuff okay uh, well, I, I went 36 hours without eating until about an hour ago. And then I broke my fast uh, with a packet of wild planet uh, tuna fish, which is fantastic, actually. So I opened up the packet and then I had another packet called Fat Bombs. And the Fat Bomb was a mixture of macadamia nut oil, uh, coconut oil, and Brazilian nut oil. And then I poured the oil into a packet of tuna and I had a spoon and I mixed it all up and I literally ate out of that and it was delicious especially after not eating for 36 hours so if I calculated it it was 50 grams of fat and it was 21 grams of protein with essentially zero carbohydrates Mm -hmm. so that's almost like a perfect ketogenic diet ratio and uh 
And that, I mean, I don't know if people can envision that, but that's like, you know, an example of my travel food. But if I'm home, uh, what I typically do, uh, if I do eat breakfast on the days I eat breakfast, uh, I like to make an egg yolk omelet. Like a lot of people, you can go to a restaurant and you can pay extra and they'll make you an egg white omelet and they throw away the yolks. (laughs) But uh, I'll just go around and collect them. Yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) man, now I have a lot of guilt because growing up, I used to eat sometimes two, three, four dozen eggs a day and I would throw the yolks I would give them to my dog or throw them out what a tragedy I would throw away all, all the, the oaks yeah. so now I give my dogs my dog growing puppies guy. yeah yeah <laughs> you did actually um, now I give my dogs a white because they need some extra protein and I'll make an egg yolk omelet and I'll throw in maybe some mushrooms or a little bit of a spin, uh, spinach or something like that and uh, and that'll be I'll make an egg yolk omelet and for salad I'll just put a lot of fat on top of greens and throw some kind of chicken beef fish on top of that and so I eat really simple but I do like to mix up when I go and buy vegetables I probably buy at least 12 to 15 different vegetables and uh, and we buy a lot of chicken beef fish and I do get beef from uh, uh, I do choose grass-fed beef mm. just because of the fatty acid profile i think that's wise yeah, that's yeah. Wise and i know you guys yeah. have a lot here actually i think it's mainly grass-fed here some of the beef that i get i know this is crazy because you're supposed to buy local but some of the beef that i get depending on the service that i use it's from australia so i know you guys have really good grass-fed beef here yeah, yeah. it's it's mainly grass-fed beef here we don't have the big feedlots that you guys have over there yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. so on mass dom i just want to say thank you for joining us on the wellness guys show this has been a thoroughly enjoyable and uh, an enlightening interview. So thank you for your time. Um, we really appreciate it. When people want to go and find out information about you and get your resource or access to your resources, where can they go? Uh, go to ketonutrition.org and Keto Nutrition blog. And on there, I have many resources, including doctors. Uh, I have clinical trials listed on there, uh, consultants, and uh, a lot of my podcasts and everything are on there. So I'll put your podcast on there for sure. <laughs> That'd be great. Good on you, Dom. Thanks so much for sharing. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of The Wellness Guy Show. We hope you love the new feel. Remember to continue to interact with us and tell us what you thought of this and other episodes. Please head to facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Guys and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. This is the way that we get to share our message with the world. For more information about Bredo and all that he's up to, please head to drbredhill.com.au and to find out more about me, head to damienchristoff.com. Until we meet again, continue to bring wellness into your life and we'll join you next time on The Wellness Guy Show. This year, The Wellness Summit returns. What is the ramifications for you if you continue to not know where your food is coming from and not make a hard stand about what you're consuming? Back in 1992, I didn't know how to cook. In fact, I ate really poorly, as many of you know. But I now love it so much that when I go to prepare something, it becomes magical. Don't want you to be stuck in the the crap that's happening. Know it, yes. Be aware of it, yes. But bring your vibration up so that we can vibrate at a higher level and collectively, we might be able to bring everybody up to make those changes. I love preparing it. I know that everyone who's eating it absolutely loves it. Even the bits that they don't want to eat, they love eating them because I love making them. Does that make sense? Cindy O'Meara and Damien Christoph feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit.
bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.